What's up, guys? Shane Larson here with the Game Time Guru Podcast. Today's interview is super, super special. 32 years of experience our guest has in the NFL as a coach. He's got a book out, and we're going to be talking about that book. It's called Figure It Out, My 32-Year Journey While Revolutionizing Pro Football Special Teams. Our guest is known as the greatest special teams coach in NFL history. You're not going to want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru Podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you, as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's going on, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. You know, we're almost six years into this show. We're coming up on six years in January. Super excited to bring on our, our guests. As you guys heard in the introduction, uh, we have an amazing opportunity to learn from somebody who knows the game of football, especially in the world of special teams. And so we're going to kind of pick his brain, get to know more about the book that he just published uh, about his journey and get that out there so you guys can also read about his journey. So before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's listened. Major shout out to all my sponsors of the show and those who have helped us get to 111 countries, all 50 states. We've got this show growing from the ground up and uh, it's thanks in large part to the guests on the show as well as the people who have supported. So if you guys enjoyed this interview with our guest today, Make sure to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and uh, we'll get it out to more and more people. So joining us is former special teams coach. He had a 32-year stint in the NFL. His name is Mike Westoff. Mike, thanks so much for joining us, brother. Oh, no, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, uh, I enjoy Oh, man, it's, it's, it's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, I actually it's, – it's, it's very funny because I've been following – you know, professional sports for quite some time. And I remember your name popping up multiple times. For those who don't know, Mike is literally the greatest special teams coach in the National Football League, like in the history of the National Football League. So you have kind of revolutionized the game. That's the whole point of your book. It's called Figure It Out, My 32-Year Journey While Revolutionizing Pro Football Special Teams. So you have quite the experience dating back from, you know, 30 plus years ago, all the way up until recently, but it actually started before that, from what I understood. So Mike, I want to talk about, you know, your life before coaching and some of the battles that you went through. So would you mind maybe elaborating on kind of what life was like for you prior to like your coaching days uh, growing up? Um, I, I, I talked about it in my book a pretty good bit, not a tremendous amount, but a little bit. Uh, I don't think it was much different than and quite an other number of people uh, that they go through different things they experience in their lifetime. I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh, um, a large family with six children. Uh, we didn't have a lot. I lived in a row house. Um, a lot of my youth was spent. Uh, my father was a tremendous amateur athlete. Uh, he had all the athletic skill. I got it from my mother. I had very little. <laughs> I had to work. He, he never had to work out at all. I never stopped. Um, I spent a lot of time when I was young uh, in, a, in an area that if, if you, 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 wouldn't, you couldn't drive in the, the neighborhood I grew up in right now, you wouldn't want to drive a car in there. It was a rough area. Um, and, and, but it was great when I lived there. I loved it. 
It was a good place to grow up. I spent a lot of time fighting, actually, when I was a young kid. Um, and then we moved out to a suburb, a suburb called Bethel Park. Uh, it's south of the city of Pittsburgh, like a lot of communities. We had a very good football uh, coach, a gentleman named Dan Galbraith. We were a very good team. We started one. And, and, and I had a good experience there. It was important for me to play athletics. We played baseball a lot when I was young. My two brothers were actually very good. I, I was pretty good. I could play. And then, and then a, and football started. It was a way for me, uh, a means to an end. I knew if I was going to go to college, I needed to get a scholarship. I was young. I, I started school. I was a year behind. But my parents didn't know. They, they didn't know any better. They were young. And so I, I started school early. And I, so I was kind of always, uh, I was a little bit always the underdog. And I was a year younger, a year smaller. You know, I'm trying to grow to this uh, position that I evolved into. And um, so it was, it was a lot of work for me um, that, that I had to get that done and work that out. So but it worked out for me. You know, I, I uh, found a way to become a starter on our football team. I was the first sophomore in the history of the school that started every game. I was not a great player, but I was good enough. And you know, we had a good team. We were undefeated. When I was a senior, arguably the best team in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, there was really no way of telling back then. They didn't have a state playoff system. But we were, we were really very good. And then, and then I went to college. I went to Wyoming. I talked all about that. And then developed through those different times. And, and we uh, went to school. And then, of course, came back to the Pittsburgh coached a little bit in high school, uh, got involved with uh, Indiana University. You go to graduate school. I worked out there with Lee Corso. That was a tremendous experience. I wrote a lot about that. And the beginnings of my ways, my way into coaching, different people that I met, uh, the experiences that I had, you know, ranging, of course, from Lee Corso to, to move on into Frank Bush when he was at Arizona State, Woody Hayes at Ohio State, actually Bear Bryant, believe it or not, at Alabama. And these all influenced my life as a coach. And all of a sudden, I'm in the National Football League in 1982 when I was young, 33 years old. I was, let's see, I was a strength coach because they needed one, not because of me. I was a tight ends coach. I helped with the offensive line. I was a special teams coach. I was assistant head coach. And I, I did a number of things. I didn't do any of them very well. I probably didn't. But I learned. I learned a lot. And uh, I ended up in the USFL for one year, and then, of course, with Don Shula. And that was the tremendous beginning of uh, my career. And to work with him for all those years, I was at Miami for 15 years. I was with Dan Marino his whole career in coach offense. Uh, so that was a great experience. And then, of course, going up to the New York Jets, I didn't get the head coaching job at uh, the Miami Dolphins when I thought I deserved it. I didn't get it. I went to the Jets, and I loved it. I loved New York. I love my experiences. Sure, every experience wasn't perfect. Everybody I worked with, no, there were good things and there were some not so good things. But I loved that experience, and it was a tremendous time. And we were pretty good. We were a good football team. The best, uh, I think, the best overall years that the Jets have really probably ever seen in their history. Uh, I was part of, and it was a lot of fun for me. And then it went on, and I retired. You know, went to work with the media, ESPN, SNY Television, and then out of nowhere, the New Orleans Saints come along. And all of a sudden, they, they, they think they've got a really good team, 17 and 18. They can win the Super Bowl, but their special teams aren't very good. I didn't know one person in the building. I didn't know anybody. And, but I went. I said, okay, I'll, I'll come down. I'll come. And uh, at first it started, it was a disaster. But then it turned out pretty good. We went from rank 31st to 1st. 
and I was involved with a really great program that I loved. I a lot of a lot of respect for Mickey Lomas, their general manager, and of course Sean Payton, Drew Brees. It was a lot of fun to be a part of. And then I retired. After that, it had been enough time for me. And I decided to write the book. I spent two years writing it and uh, went through the whole thing all about it. And I think I'm proud of it. I think it's a story that people will enjoy. It's a good sports story. It's a good story. It's not about the quarterback complaining that he only makes $150 million. It's not about that guy. It's about the kid out of nowhere that made it and changed the game. We changed the game. Uh, it was not just myself. You know, when I talked about revolutionizing, there were a number of us that did that. I think I kind of led the pack. I believe I did. Um, and, and we did change it. We changed the game. It went from a point of, oh, it went from a point of being very mediocre, where everybody pretty much did the same thing, to a point of prominence, where special teams at that point in time had a particular rank, what they did, and it has since been diluted and watered down. It will never go back to that point. Never. It's not going to happen. I'm proud of what we did and what not only the group that I was with, what they accomplished, but really a lot of uh, what a lot of groups, a lot of teams. Um, I think we led the pack. I think we led it. Our, you know, of course, the, the other coaches get mad at me. You know, they think I'm arrogant. And, uh, I probably am. But we were good. Uh, we were just real good. And look what we did. Um, and we were in the playoffs those years. We didn't get to the Super Bowl, which I'm disappointed. But I thought in 2-9 and 2-10, we were, we were knocking on the door. The Jets, we could have maybe done that. We were good. It was a fun team to be a part of. So this is what I wrote about. I wrote about these kind of guys, and we interviewed them. Barry Wilner, who's a writer and reporter for Associated Press, he conducted the interviews and inserted them. I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do that, and so I asked for his help, and um, and I let the players know anybody, Sean Payton, anyone that we interviewed, we would not edit it. I would not edit one word, and so it's how they lived it. You know, you're going to read about, you know, what I'm telling the story and what Zach Thomas has to say about it or Leon Washington or Sean Payton, you know, anybody. That's that's what the book's about. I think people will enjoy it. I, I think it's a good story. It's a good sports story, and it's a fun story. And it, take, it took the game from a point of non-plausibility to one of complete, complete prominence and dominance. I don't believe in the years that I was there. And we were in the playoffs about 60% of the time my first 10 years. I don't think we get in the playoffs one time if we weren't such a viable contributor in the kicking game. I don't think we make it one time. I'll argue that with anybody. Because it's the little difference that we created that helped win a game or two that put us in and helped take us to a – now, yeah, of course, you know, obviously, I mean, when you got Curtis Martin carrying the ball, that helps a little bit, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty good. And so it was a good football team that I'm proud to have been a part of, and uh, and it worked. It worked. And, it, and it's been diluted, and a lot of those things are gone. And that's disappointing to me, but that's what I wrote about, and I'm, I'm very proud of the book. I'm excited about this book. It's, it's, a, it's a super cool concept. I love that you mentioned, Coach, that um, 
it's pretty much raw, unedited. So like when you did those interviews with those players, you're not editing anything. So you're going to get to hear your perspective, which is always good, but you're also going to hear the perspective of the athletes themselves and the coaches that you, you were with during that time in your, in your career. So I think yes. that's, a, that's a, it's such an important concept for a consumer. Anybody who's like consuming content, whether it's this podcast or whether you're reading your book, it's good to have it unedited and raw because that's where the emotions are at. Now you mentioned something here and it's in the book about your time with Dan Marino. You were there for the, the his career. Um, Pretty much. I have I have a question. If you could maybe give a little, maybe a little tiny glimpse. You don't have to give away the house because we want people to read this book. But sure. Dur during your time with Dan Marino, maybe what was one of your favorite experiences or something that you write about in the book? You don't have to tell the whole thing, but something that kind of jaw some people's attention so they might want to read about this a little more. Sure. I'll give you a couple of little things. And I, what, what I'll, actually, I'll tell you one that's not in the book. Um, I love the way he worked. People, I don't think anybody, everybody talks about oh, this guy's such a natural quarterback with this great release and lightning fast release. But I, I don't think they quite understand exactly what he did. Um, I wrote about this actually, this part. Every, every Wednesday and Thursday in our practices, you know, the practices pretty much in the NFL are set up a lot of pretty much the same way. You know, you go through an individual period and you warm up and you, you hit sleds and you do all that kind of stuff. You know, then you, then you come together usually for a run type period where you work on your running game. You know, your offense gets a period and your defense gets a period against scout teams, etc. Well, after our seven on seven, which is an offensive passing period, where the offense takes their receivers, their tight end, their backs, and they work against the defensive scout team with their, 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 their uh, linebackers and defensive backs. Okay, after that, as when that's going on, your linemen come together and they're working on their pass rush and those types of things. Then, then the next period comes along. Now it's the, now it's the defense's turn. So the defense secondary uh, and linebackers are going to work against a scout team group uh, on the offense. While that was going on, Dan would go down with the linemen. He would go with the linemen. He would get in the huddle. He would call a play. Now, the linemen are working on their pass rush games. So maybe they've got, you know, half of them, like an end and a tackle, are working together on their cross stunts and all the things that they do. And Dan would be in there, and he would call a play, and then he would drop back, work around in the pocket the way he did always, so lightning fast, and he would throw the ball to a receiver that he had told to run the last two steps of a particular route, whatever it was. could be anything. And I know that so well because for my first year, my first three years there, I was the guy that ran that route. But back then, I was I was fairly athletic. Um, and nobody knows that. You know, all they see me as a guy walking around with a cane and think of me as a grouchy old man. But my first three years in the NFL, I actually threw the receiver drills in a combine. I could throw them. I was pretty good. I used to help. Zeke Bradkowski and I threw those drills. Now, nobody would believe that. they think I'm lying. Go get the film. But anyway, I would help Dan and do that. So Dan worked so hard on his quick movement in the pocket and his lightning fast release. So he worked at it. It wasn't something that he just happened. He went out and made it happen. And that's what I loved about him, that he did that. He worked so hard on that type of stuff. And so I don't think anybody really ever knew that. You know, they just didn't know. They think, oh, Dan's got that great release. Well, guess what? He worked at the great release. He, he made it happen, and, and I was there part of it, and I watched him do it and, and watched how hard he worked. And then he had, a, he had a sign in his locker, and the sign read, I'm going to practice every day 
and play every play. And until he tore his Achilles up in Cleveland, he never missed a practice. He never missed a play. He did it every day. I read that sign to my rookies in training camp for 32 years. Well, not quite 32 because I didn't come to him, but probably for uh, probably 28 out of the, or maybe 27 out of the 32 years, including, including the New Orleans Saints. And I would let them know, I said, you want to you know know what greatness is in the NFL? I said, it's that sign. You want to be great? That's how you, that's how you get there. That's what this guy did. He's as good as ever did the job. Yeah, he didn't go to the Super Bowl. He's the least person responsible for that, for that indiscrepancy. It was Dan. The rest of us can take some blame, not him. And so, you know, that, that's a part that I love to follow. And I, I got to write about that a little bit. I'll tell you a story I didn't write about. I'll give you one, for example. <laughs> We're playing somebody. It was, in, it was at Miami. I'll never forget this. Hot day, typical day. And Coach Shula was calling the plays. Coach Shula called the plays from the sideline with no script. And he had a script he had in his pocket. Because he, he was so brilliant. I mean, he could do that. And plus the fact that, you know, he, he, he would have to wear his reading glasses. And he didn't want to do that. So he just, he just memorized it and called the plays. But anyway, Dan's getting banged up a little bit. And Dan comes off the field, and he, he got sacked, and he's mad. So he, he took his helmet off. And he kind of flipped it over to Coach Shula. And he said, here, you go in. You go in and play. Well, I'm, I'm not running this crap anymore. I'm, I, I won't swear like he's for you. I said, here, you go play. But I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. He said, you, you like those plays? You go run them. <laughs> he said, I'll be over here on the bench. So he went over on the bench. And he grabbed his Gatorade. And he sat down, sat back in the bench, and he crossed his legs like, you know, like you're a guy in the stands. And he said, yeah, I'll be right over here if you want to talk. He said, I'm not playing anymore. And Coach Shula's going to kill him. So oh, he said, man. And he said, you like this place so much? You go run them. You go drop them and do it. Because I'm being killed. The rest of us, I ran down to the other end of the bench. And I was laughing. I don't want anybody to see me laughing. Coach Shula would have fired me. He would have killed me. So I'm hiding. I don't even want to see anybody. He said, yeah, I'll be right over here. Oh man, that's that's after, that's Hall of Fame status right there, right? <laughs> after a couple after a couple minutes, you know, the defense stopped him and we they punted, you know, and Dan got back up and he ran and he grabbed his helmet. He said, All right, I'll run out there. He ran back on the field. Because he and Coach Shola, believe me when I'm telling you this, they had a tremendous relationship. Tremendous, incredible respect that that for each other. But they were competitors, you know, they would fight. You know, and they, they, they would fight amongst each other once in a while. You know, I'm not running that play. <laughs> Get the hell out there. You're going to run it, you know. But uh, they they loved each other. They had tremendous respect. And uh, it was fun to be around. It was fun to be a part of every day to watch it. But every now and then, they'd bang heads. You know, they'd bang heads and <laughs> they'd be back and forth. But uh, that was Dan Marino. He was he was really something to be around. And, and I, I loved uh the honor of being in the meeting because I was coaching tight ends then and helping with actually when our offensive line coach had some hospital issues, I coached the offensive line for a while. So, you know, I was, I, I was right in the middle of it. I was right in the middle of it. And uh, it was a great experience being around those guys. And they, they, they deserve to be in the hall of fame. They're there and they deserve it. Absolutely. No doubt. That's, that's so cool. Those stories are so cool. And this is like why I love 
you know, learning from someone like yourself who was there behind the scenes, who gets to like, if you're a true sports fan and you appreciate the game, those are the stories people like want to hear. That's why I'm glad you wrote your book, you know, and you know, coach, you mentioned something about the jets. You mentioned 2009, 2010, you guys had some solid squads, but what's interesting is you talked about Dan Marino, but you've also been part of some of the bigger storylines that were in the media for the sports world, including that of Tim Tebow. Um, and, and there's some, I mean, there's some storylines and you've written about it. There's parts of that in the book. Uh, what I guess if you were to look at your team in New York and just all the things that happened there, New York is always so heavy with the media, but was there anything that you learned that you took away from maybe the, the whole experience with Tim Tebow or anything of that nature? Yeah. Tim Tebow, pretty simple. Sure. Um, stick with what you say you're going to do. I mean, I, Rex Ryan called me. He was on the road. He was out scouting with somebody and he called and he said, uh, Mike, we're talking about trading and picking up Tim Tebow. He said, what do you think? I said, okay, well, tell me exactly what you're going to do with him. I said, because to be honest with you, I don't know enough. I haven't studied him enough, but I don't think we're looking at an elite NFL quarterback. I just don't believe that. Um, if, if, you're not, if you don't think I'm right, call Bill Belichick and ask him. He had him in camp. He tried him. It didn't work. I said, I like the guy, and, and I, there's certain roles I think he could probably do if he's willing to do it. And he said, would you use them? I said, sure, one thing, one thing and one thing only. I'll, I'll have them on our punt team with the availability to run fakes off of it. I said, I'll use them. I promise you, I'll do it, which I did, and we were extremely successful doing it. But I'm the only one that kept my end of the bargain. The offense did not use them. They were going to use, use them as kind of a wildcat quarterback, a hybrid, you know, put them in, do different things, and they, they didn't do it. So I think they really did not keep – their end of the bargain. And I think that was, I had mentioned that the Tim Tebow thing was a disgrace. No, do not misquote me. It wasn't Tim Tebow that was a disgrace. It was the way that he was utilized in that part of the deal. And that was very unfair to him. Uh, I liked him personally. Do I think he's a great NFL quarterback? No, I don't even think he's an NFL quarterback. Do I think he's a good special teams player? No, I do not. People have asked me to compare him to uh, Asim Hill. Please. It's not even the same league when it comes to as far as that part of the game goes. Not even close. Not even close. So, but could have he gone in and helped our offense and gone in some wildcat quarterback and done some things? Yes. Yes. And he worked hard at it. And he was really prepared. And it didn't happen. I was extremely, I think that's the mistake that we made. The rest of it, it's hard to say because we didn't we didn't keep our end of the bargain. I kept mine. I kept mine, and, I, and I, I mean, I'll show you a couple of fakes. We ran we ran an unbalanced line fake against Houston when they had the number one defense in the NFL, and they had their defense on the field. We ran a fake, and we got it. We ran right we ran right at JJ Watt, and we got it out of the punt team. Tim, we were playing the Raiders one year that year, and we had the ball down on the goal line. We couldn't score. And Tim came up to me, and of course he was being a little, he was irritated. And he said, Coach, can you put the punt team in and call a fake? He said, I'll score. No, we had the ball on the four-yard line. <laughs> I said, I actually wouldn't mind doing it because we probably would have a better chance of scoring than this outfit that's out there now. Uh, and we didn't score. We did not. Uh, but he was he wanted me to put the punt team in. I thought it was kind of funny. I got a kick out of that. Uh, they probably should. But So that part with Tim um, – when you make a deal, keep your end of the bargain or don't make the deal. 
I like it. I'm going to quote that. I think that's amazing. I hope the listeners of the show right now, you rewind and listen to what Coach Mike Westhoff just said regarding that situation, what he learned from the Tim Tebow situation. Keep your end of the bargain. If you make a deal, stick to your word. Yeah, um, no, you don't have to do it all the time. You know, it's not that he's not going to be your, your starting court. I, I think it was obvious in practice up in Cortland, you know, when, when of course, ESPN, you know, brought uh, Ham Storm and uh, Sal, Pan, Sal Pantonio in there. They were there every day. You know, with Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow, you don't have to be a Sherlock Holmes to realize that he, he wasn't as good as Mark Sanchez. He was not. I don't care what anyone says. He just, but, but he did some things well. He did some things very well. You utilize what he can do and make that part of the deal. I remember I kept saying to Rex, Rex, when, when are we going to put this Wildcat stuff in? I haven't seen, oh, they're getting ready for it. Yeah, well, when? Like Christmas? I mean, come on. It didn't happen. So uh, in that regard, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of his. I, I, I know he won the Heisman Trophy. I believe he deserved it because of what he did with that football team. That's what counts. We, we opened the door, and we never let him through that particular door. I let him through mine. I used him. I mean, we ran an unbalanced line against the Colts and ran a, th- ran, ran a, play, a play action sweep to the left. And he pulled up because he's left-handed and threw back to a linebacker down the middle of the field, and we completed it. So, yeah, I, I kept my end of the bargain. But I'm the only one that had a Jets shirt on that did it. And so you can quote that however you want because that's the truth. <laughs> and it worked. So with Tim Tebow, the disappointment was in that regard. Totally understand that. No, I'm, It's cool to hear the insight, right, Mike, because – what we see as the general public, even the sports media, like we just see what is provided to us. So we don't get the in-depth information on what's going on. What, what we were seeing is exactly what you mentioned, which was like ESPN was there and Tim wasn't even a starting quarterback, but he was getting all the publicity during that time that he, he showed up. And it's just good to hear that. And I'm grateful for your, for your insight there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to letting people read the book and kind of seeing more about what you, what you experienced in your, in your tenure. And you also mentioned Taysom Hill, you know, you had retired. And then the Saints had called you up, and you came over there and revolutionized everything. You you completely revamped that entire special teams. And Taysom Hill, like, I mean, you guys can see how vital he is. He's often called the Swiss Army Knife. I mean, he can do a lot of things as an athlete, and people wondered if he was going to be able to do it. But obviously, under your direction, he was able to do a lot of things with, with, with what he was able to do. So it's kind of cool to see the players that you've worked with. I would ask you this as a follow-up, Mike. Uh, in your 32-year career, who would be the most impactful player that you coached and why? Is it Dan Marino? It might be, but why is it? Uh, why? What, what made that player so impactful? So maybe the athletes that are listening right now can take note of why that player was so impactful in your life. Uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question, but in some ways it, it has, it's, so, it's so divided because in football you're looking at so many different roles and it's hard to distinguish you know, one from another. And to say this guy was more obviously the most impactful person in the NFL has to be your quarterback because of the job that he does. So I think that's almost unfair for me to talk about because, you know, I, I wasn't a quarterback coach or coordinator there. Um, obviously, it would have to be Dan Marino. But, you know, and I wrote in my book that uh, an interesting guy that I helped coach, actually, was Dwight Stevenson, our Hall of Fame offensive center with the Miami Dolphins. He's in the Hall of Fame. I firmly believe, first of all, when he got hurt, and to be honest with you, to this day, I'm still a little irritated about it, to tell you the truth. 
Uh, we were playing the Jets. You know, we were beating the heck out of them. And Dan threw an interception. And uh, Marty Lyons hit Dwight Stevenson. And I, Marty, Marty's a clean player, and he didn't mean to do it dirty. I don't mean that at all. But he hit Dwight Stevenson in the back, and it pushed him forward, and he hyperextended his knee, and his, he never played again. He never played again. So I'll be honest with you, I'm still not the biggest Marty Lyons fan of it. Uh, not just that's just me, and I don't. And I mean, I like the guy. In fact, I'm supposed to do a book signing thing with him, so I guess if he reads this, he might not want to do it. But here's, but uh, and I know he didn't mean to hurt him. But that's not he's he was a clean, tough player. Marty definitely was that. But I, I think he kept us out of the Super Bowl because when we lost Dwight, it just killed us. We we just weren't as good. I believe that Dwight Stevenson played his position better than anyone else ever played their position. Does that mean he's the best player ever? No, of course not, because he's not his role. But nobody, nobody played their position better than that guy played his. I mean, I, I talked to players from other teams, and they would tell me they'd be watching the Miami Dolphins, and they're supposed to be studying you know, what they're doing. He said, nobody, all they're doing is watching Dwight. They're all just watching him. But he was so damn good. And so, you know, you have to look at things like that, uh, those kind of guys. And, of course, so then when you start breaking down what I did, you've got, you know, you've got pickers and punters and return guys and then cover guys and all the different roles that they had. So for me, that's a tough one for me to pick because, you know, like when I, I picked my all-star team in the book and um, I love it because, in fact, to me, I think I was during the greatest time that NFL has ever seen special teams. It was the best. It had not been before. It will not be again. It was the height. And so I picked an all-star team. Yeah, of course, probably the best return guy I ever saw. I'd, have to, I'd probably take Deion Sanders. But on my all-star team, see, you had to play for me. And I picked O.J. McDuffie as the punt returner and Leon Washington as the kickoff returner. And I'll take those two guys. And I'll go play anybody, and we'll beat you. Because they were really good. That kind of stuff. You know, I had, I had Larry Izzo, and then guys with the catch. You know, I had Kenyatta Wright. And the linebacker, what, the way he played, Chris Hayes. You know, of course, Taysom Hill when I was in New Orleans. Taysom Hill could play. I could start on any team that I had and beat anybody that we played. That's how good he was. I mean, he was really good. He helped He helped do things that won games for the New Orleans Saints and took us to where we should have gone to the Super Bowls. He was a part of that project. And so I just feel like I was the luckiest guy. And, and I had that group that came along. I mean, come on, my years at the New York Jets, my first 10 years there, it was 10 years, maybe the last two I had. But we had nine, nine different players that led the National Football League in returns. Well, who do you think's ever going to break that record? Nobody, because there's no returns anymore. You can't do it. We had nine, nine guys that all led the league. Well, we were doing something right, I can tell you that much for sure. We figured it out, and we were pretty damn good, and it helped us win games. Did it win the game? Of course not, but it helped us. And without it, I don't think we get in the playoffs. Hundred percent, man. I and, and I and I totally understand how that question was in your words unfair because yeah, you had this experience to like work with so many athletes in different roles, even on special teams specifically. There's different roles within special teams, so it's hard <sighs> to kind of just choose that. It's not fair to the players, but it's cool to hear the insight. You know, coach, as. Uh, you know, as we wrap up the interview, I just got a couple questions for you. One is like for the athletes that are coming up, uh, there's a lot of football players looking for roster spots, whether it's on the collegiate level or even at the pro professional level. 
and they always reference special teams. They say, hey, like if you might be a skill position player, but this team already has their their depth there. So you make your, you know, you got to make an effort on special teams. I guess with your expertise in special teams and you're talking to these players that are trying to make it on a team roster and you know the special teams and how, how important it is, what advice would you be to would you give to those guys that are like, hey, I want to make the roster because I know I can make an impact, but they might not take special teams as seriously. Like, what would you say to those guys? Because that can be a way that people get their their foot in the door essentially and make an, an astronomical impact, as you just mentioned, a couple of those players, whether it's a returner or you know whatever it may be. What advice would you give to those guys? You you, you have to do it now. Here's the thing for the new guys: it's tougher than it's tougher than it used to be. Because you can't keep as many guys on your roster that are just pure special teams players, because of the fact that the way the game is run today, you just don't have you don't have the number of plays, you just don't have the chances. So you're not going to keep as many guys for those specific roles. So not only you you better be good at your position, and then be able to contribute viably as a special teams player, but to go in and just think you're going to just walk out like maybe like a Larry Izzo did or a Bernie Parmalee and be just a special teams player, that doesn't exist anymore. You can't do that. I'll give you I'll give you the number. I'll give you a good number. Uh, let's see. My first 30 years in the NFL, my first 30 years, not counting, not counting PATs and field goals, whether you kick them or defend them, not counting those plays, I averaged 22 plays a game, 22. In other words, punts, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return. Remember, Back then, of course, almost every kickoff you had to cover and you could return. Now, you know, the touchbacks are, you know, there's a propensity for touchbacks. You don't have as many plays. Okay, so I averaged 22 plays a game. When I went to the New Orleans Saints at 17 and 18, that number dropped. That number went from 22 to 7. Wow. I had 7 plays. Now, I'm not counting counting a kickoff for a touchback. I mean, I'm 74. I can run down a damn field and kick off. Come on, give me a break. They might have to call a timeout, you know, show a commercial time I got there, but I could do it. Okay, so that's all you have. You don't have as many plays. But when I talk to special teams coaches today, I let them know you've got to win situations. You've got to win these things. You've got to be prepared, you know, in a situation. You know, you're, 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 what, what you do, um, like I talked about, you know, there's so many touchbacks that the team starts to – at the 25-yard line. It doesn't take much with today's rules for the good offenses to get up to the 50. Okay, so you have, now what's going to happen there? You know, The red zones are differently. And you play them in two different segments, I believe. But anyway, so if you have to punt in that vicinity, 20-yard line statistic is meaningless. It's got to be inside the 10. Inside the 10, that's your goal. So if you have to punt from up there, you better get them inside the 10 or you're not, you're not helping your team. So again, situations. You know, how do you play these situations? You know, it's my, I'm sure you watched Buffalo last night. Uh, actually, I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and I picked them the other night on a show that we did. I, I picked them to beat the heck out of the Rams. I was pretty smart. They all thought I was kind of dumb. But I was smarter than they thought. Uh, because the Rams don't do anything during the preseason. And Buffalo does just what they wanted to do to get their team ready. When they wanted to play their starters, they played them. It might only be a quarter, but they played them. They were ready to play. The Rams weren't quite ready. And so, um, but yet last year in the playoffs against Kansas City, if Buffalo at the kickoff kicks the ball and puts it in play and makes the clock start either by a line drive or a squib type kick, Buffalo, not Kansas City, goes to the championship game. 
They didn't win the situation. They didn't play it right. Special teams today win the situation. Young player, you're not going to have as many opportunities as you used to have. So therefore, a team can't keep you know, six or seven guys. They maybe can keep three, maybe four. They can't keep six, seven, eight like they used to do. That's different. Game's different. I know a couple of the head coaches, new head coaches, called me and said to me, Mike, if you were coaching today, how would you want to construct your roster? That's a that's a brilliant question. The guys that did it are pretty smart. The guys that didn't call, I don't think they're so smart. That's just their problem, not mine. Uh, and so I, 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 I told them how I would do it. You, know, you do it differently. You, build, you get a couple guys from here and not so many of these guys, and you put together this group. And so, um, yes, it's, it's a key part, but it's not as key. So you still have to be able to play that position and be a contributor in some fashion in that regard. You cannot just rely on special teams. But those particular roles on special teams, you're on your punt team, your punt return, you better be pretty good because you'll get, you, you'll get beat if you can't do that right. So insightful, man. This is why I'm so glad I got to talk to you, Coach, because – your book encapsulates a lot of this stuff. And now that people are hearing you talk, they're starting to see like, okay, this is the stuff that, that sports fans geek out about. They want to hear some of the stuff, hear the insight. And now this is what I would encourage the listeners to do. I've got the link in my description to go get the book, but um, you guys are going to want to check this out. Mike's got this whole rundown of his 32 year history. Um, some of these stories. And like we said earlier, he's got interviews with some of the players, uh, raw, uncut, unedited interviews with some of the players that are written in there. And you get to hear more of these types of stories that Mike's sharing here on the podcast. You know, Mike, after everything is said and done, I mean, with your career, it's my last question for you on the show is what would be the biggest life lesson that football has taught you? That's a good question. I've been asked a lot of questions. I've never been asked that one. That, that's really interesting. Um, what has football taught me? Okay, for me, um, see, I think it's the greatest game that's ever been played. I'm the big believer in it. And I, you know, they, sometimes they call it football over in Europe. Soccer's not football. It's a totally different game. You know, it's, if you get if you get bumped, they carry you off on a litter. Give me a break. You know, it's not even the same game. I don't want to hear it. And and I have tremendous respect for the athleticism of soccer. I absolutely do. Tremendous. In fact, actually, I think they could make it a – I went to a professional soccer game in Washington, D.C. this spring, and I'm, I'm sitting there watching in the stands. I'm thinking, I could make this a really good game if they'd shrink the field by a quarter and they'd shrink the time by a quarter. Have a pretty good game. The way they play it now, you kick the ball, it's, it's in two states away. If you get a driver's, you have to get a passport to go get it. It takes forever, so it's ridiculous. Uh, shrink it a little bit, you got a heck of a game, I think. It's just my opinion. But it's not football. The football, see, everybody can play football. You can, everybody, this is what high school coaches, this is why I want people to read the book, because I want them to learn. I want some high school coach to read this, because he's going to realize that, that he's got this great, great position if he's smart and he does it right. And he's got some kid comes out to this a little skinny little kid. Okay, so what? I, I found a place for him to play. He can kick. I'll find a place. Maybe, maybe he's a little bit heavy. Maybe he's a little a little chubby or something, you know. Uh, I got a place for him. I, I'll find a role for him. And if the coach is smart and does that, and the kid's tough enough, and he'll hang in there, 
And the coach is not stupid and abusing him and screaming him every two seconds. You know, and he gives him a role and he puts him in the right place. The next thing you know, this kid will be running out on the field and his mother and father will be sitting in the stands and everybody is happy. Everybody, this is the greatest thing. That, that young man, he probably won't make the swimming team. He can't play basketball. And he sure as hell isn't going to run track. He can play football. He can play in the best game there ever was. It's the best ever. I'll, I'll argue with anybody. I mean, this is the real deal. Because everybody can do it. It's not limited to a handful of athletes. You know, some of the sports they are. They're, they're, you know, everybody can't do it. Okay, that's okay. But don't, don't tell me that poor kid in high school can't find a place and have a really good time. He can do it. He just needs a coach that can figure it out. Help the guy. Help the kid out. We had a, we had a young man when I was in high school. Uh, he had a terrible, terrible story with his family. I, I won't go into it because it's really very violent. But anyway, he was real big. You know, he was probably 5'10". He probably weighed 300 whatever pounds. And he, they couldn't find anything for him to wear. But our coach went down to the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and found a helmet, and he found some pads that could fit this young guy. Now, in order to take a lap, this poor kid, you know, he, had to, you know, he had to get a bus to get a lap around the field. God bless him. I mean, it took him forever. But he found a place for him to play. That's what football is about. It gave me a chance to get a master's degree, to go to college, to make money, to live an incredible life. It gave me that chance. That's what I wanted to do. Originally, I thought when I got out of school, I would go to law school, not to be an attorney, but to work like in law enforcement, FBI or something like that, which I think I, I, think I would have done that well. But all of a sudden, you know, I'm coaching in Indiana. I'm going to graduate school. I'm thinking, I can do this. I, I, I'm studying Woody Hayes and, and Bo Schembechler. I can figure it out. I think I can beat them. That's how I used to think. And I was pretty cocky. I thought, I can do this. I can do this. This is a good job for me. But I got to work at it. I have to really work at it. Did I get in there for free? No, I did not. I worked. That's why sometimes when I see sometimes today, a guy gets a head coaching job and they talk about how he slaved away in front of the computer doing analytics. Yeah, right. How did I get started? I'm at the University of Dayton, making $11,000 a year. I was the strength coach, and I was the offensive line coach. After the weight program was over in the winter, I cleaned the weight room. I mopped the locker room. I put soap in the showers and toilet paper in the stalls. That's how I started. So I know what, what this business can do for you, and I love it, and I love that experience. And I look back and think, I had the greatest job in the world. I got to run out in front of 80,000 people. Or for me, sometimes, you know, limp out. <laughs> I didn't get out too quickly. But I did it. And I did it at an extremely high level. And I think in some parts of it, I did it as good as anybody ever did it. But that's what this game can do for you. And all I want to see is people get a fair chance because it's the greatest game. It's the most it's the most intellectual game. I used an example when I talked about that. Somebody asked me that the other day. And I said, I love baseball. 
And I liked, I liked to play. I loved baseball. My parents, my, family, my father was good. My brother was really good. We all played. We were good. And okay, so I get traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates to Philadelphia Phillies. All right. So I show up and I'm a third baseman. So I, I bat around 280, 290. So they probably bat me fifth in the lineup. And before the game, the manager comes up to me and he says, okay, Mike, he says, now today, if I touch my hat, steal second base. I'm ready. I'm ready. I can play for the Phillies that night. You get traded from the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Philadelphia Eagles, you're going to get an eight-inch notebook that you've got to be ready for. This is a different game. Our game's the intellectual game. Somebody compared it to chess. Each chess piece has a designated number of moves. Each football position has an infinite number of moves. Word of game. And what it meant to me, it gave me the greatest opportunity in the world. And I'm extremely fortunate. And that's why I love the game. Wow. So powerful, man. So powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Westhoff. I would encourage everybody once again, check the link in my in my description here. Go check out his book. It's called Figure It Out, My 32-Year Journey While Revolutioning Pro Football Special Teams. You're going to hear stories just like you heard here on the podcast. We look forward to reading it and getting it out to more people, getting it in people's hands. We appreciate you writing it, Mike, and I appreciate you joining the show and, and being willing to share some of your story here. But, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks again, sir, for taking the time out of your day and uh, being with us today. Thank you so much. No, thank, thank you for giving me the chance. I appreciate it. You, did a, you do a good job. It's a good show. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For those who are listening, hopefully you enjoyed this one. Make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Okay, thanks. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.